ダラッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタッタ
skills that I couldn't really use, I guess, if that makes sense. So I took the the basic stuff that I'd learned and then I just sort of am pretty much self-taught for the rest of it. Wow, that's amazing. What kind of shoes did you start making when you were first starting out? What's like the best entry into shoemaking? Well, (laughs) I wouldn't say what I did first was the best entry. (laughs) But I jumped straight into high heels. Because keep in mind, I was like, gosh, I must have been like 19 or 20. And I just was obsessed with high heels. I just didn't beat around the bush. I went straight in for high heels. Um, But, you know, actually thinking about it, I don't think high heels is the worst place to start because you kind of cover everything. You know, you can always like strip that back and, you know, take it from scratch. But yeah, I I started with high heels. (laughs) That was my my entry level. So I want to know a little bit more about the journey from like when you were you did your training and you decided you wanted to kind of be more of a maker and and get into shoemaking more on your own in a self-taught sort of way how did that evolve into your business I can make shoes and how did that all start out totally by accident (laughs) totally by accident I I I guess I can make shoes was started out of a bit of frustration to be honest I had studied footwear but I still just wasn't able to make my own shoes from home. I wasn't able to just sit in my living room and whip up a pair of shoes, which is what I really wanted to do. And I was really searching the internet, trying to find a book or like any kind of shoemaking kit or just any kind of resources that would help me do that. And I just couldn't find anything. So I kind of decided the idea for the business was originally to write a book on shoemaking from home. And it was just kind of funny. I I was doing some research and I like set up a sort of Twitter account. Like Twitter was really just becoming like super hot when I started out <laughs> in 2010. And I decided to run a little workshop for just some of my friends, like literally in my living room. And then people on Twitter were like, oh, cool. When's the next workshop happening? And I was just like, uh, next weekend. (laughs) So yeah. And that's kind of how it happened. And then I, I guess the book just took a total backseat and, you know, the, the workshops were like sandal making and just like really basic stuff. And then people would be like, Oh, can you do a workshop on high heels? And I was like, yeah. And then people were like, Oh, can you do a workshop on boots? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of grew like that. Um, it's so funny. It's, I just launched my book at the end of 2019. And it's like literally 10 years. <laughs> like the book, the whole business, the idea was the book. And it took 10 years of workshops to get around to doing it. But to be honest, it worked out so much better that way, because there is now 10 years worth of really amazing practical experience and tips and everything packed into that book. If I'd written that 10 years earlier, it would have been probably a bit too basic, I imagine. 
Oh, yeah, I can see that. I'm sure all of the years of teaching workshops on shoemaking have given you so much extra knowledge to put into the book. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about how your business grew over 10 years, because 10 years is a is a good amount of time to have a business. And, you know, congratulations for that. That's awesome. And the fact that you've written a book now is so, so cool. So tell us, like, how did it go from, you know, the beginning stages of just running workshops out of your apartment to what you have going on right now? And what do you have going on right now? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many questions. <laughs> Sorry. But yes, true. I mean, it, it is a real milestone um, to reach 10 years and to do the book and for that all to happen sort of at once. Like I am actually really, really proud of it. Um, because like I said, you know, when I started the business, it wasn't really a plan. Um, it kind of started by accident in a way and it has grown super organically um you know I never had any funding at all I literally started this business with like 50 pounds in my back pocket and an artist had donated some leather to me when she was clearing out her studio space and I literally stretched out that leather for like the whole first year (laughs) but yeah it, it really grew super organically like when I started I was running shoemaking workshops to teach people how to make shoes from home and I was literally running the workshops from home I would just sort of clear out the living room and put tables in there and you know pack it all up at the end of the day and I did that for the first probably year and a half and at that point I was running enough workshops that I'd saved enough money to actually rent out a studio space and you know, then over the years, we outgrew that studio space and moved into another one and another one and so on. So it it has grown super organically. Um, I, I sort of always say, I think if someone had given me money in those early days, I totally would have blown it because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was just, I was just responding to demand that that was really all it was. I did get a super lucky break in those early years with the the retail giant that is ASOS. They had chosen 15 businesses to launch ASOS Marketplace and I was one of those 15 businesses. So we just had so much press and it was really, really good for me to get that kind of exposure. But that was so much work and yeah, it, it sort of propelled I can make shoes I guess into the spotlight and that was something that I wouldn't have been able to afford to do on my own I definitely couldn't afford any kind of PR that was I guess the sort of big break and I did ASOS marketplace for probably about a year but keeping up with the demand for that was just absolutely nuts I mean a lot of other businesses were doing that solely as their business whereas I still had workshops to run as well as like shoes to make and everything so at some point I just sort of decided that my business was going to be the workshops rather than sort of just selling shoes on ASOS marketplace and what does the business look like today because you have a team of people working with you as well right yes (laughs) I have the best team ever they are literally just the best people oh that's so awesome (laughs) yeah and we're all we're all female run which is kind of unusual in the footwear industry it's it's traditionally a pretty male dominated industry so that was quite confronting for me I guess starting starting the business as a young female 
I was like 23 when I started I Can Make Shoes. So yeah, I felt like I didn't get taken very seriously. And it's really, really nice for me to be able to employ young women as well and give them confidence to do what they do because they're really, really good at it. But yeah, what does it look like today? We are a team of like, there's like six of us. We run classes pretty much every weekend. I mean, pretty much every day because we run private tuition during the week and then we have our scheduled courses on the weekends. And we also probably like five or six years ago partnered with um, the amazing people at Brooklyn Shoe Space and we started running our classes in New York as well. We have ebooks. Um, we've had them for quite a few years and a lot of that content has been sort of repurposed into the book um, in a more modernized way. So, oh, and we opened an online supply shop. This is all stuff again that sort of like come from demand. You know, we, we only sort of have grown this business as people have asked for it. One of the really challenging things with footwear has always been like minimum orders. So we're teaching people how to make shoes from home, but then if they can only buy like a hundred insoles at once, it doesn't really help. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we, we obviously buy a hundred insoles at once because we're running a million workshops. So we just had students asking us like, can I just buy two pairs of you or whatever? And we were like, yeah, why not? So we opened the supply shop just to make it easier, you know, for people to practice and play really. That's so great. I'm sure our listeners are very excited about that because they love getting their hands on good quality materials to make things. And we are going to chat with you all about the shoemaking process in a minute here, but we'd love to hear what's coming next for I Can Make Shoes. What have you got on the horizon? More books, <laughs> more books, online courses, so much, so, so much. I mean, it's really exciting, like hitting 10 years and looking at how many students we've had through the doors over the years. And to know that I can make shoes, we haven't even scratched the surface here. Something actually that kind of really uh, was a surprise to me was that I was looking for a book like this 13 years ago and there was nothing like it and then I started I Can Make Shoes ran it for 10 years and there's still nothing like it so there's been loads of other little shoemaking schools that have popped up over the years um, around the world which is so amazing some of them are even past students of ours which is just like the most amazing feeling ever but there's still no books and I'm like oh my gosh we need books <laughs> so I just want to spread it yeah. yeah I just really want to spread it there's so many people out there who are like love making you know um the craft scene and the sewing scene is huge and when people find out they can make their own shoes as well they get so excited but there still <laughs> just isn't that many resources you know mm -hmm. yeah so I'm, I'm trying to do that I'm really I'm actually really passionate about like sharing your knowledge with people like something I'm working on personally is an online course on how to set up and run your own workshops so how to like turn your craft into profitable workshops because it's such an amazing feeling to take your passion and a spread spread that and share that with people and b like make it your livelihood and and you know have that as your way of living. It's it's like a really beautiful thing. I really love that quote, when you have give and when you learn, teach. 
I love that. Well, it's so great. I mean, I think it's awesome that you're working on an e-course that's a little bit more business to business because you do have 10 years of experience under your belt teaching workshops. So I feel like you must have so much to share and that'll bring a lot of value to even our listeners out there. We actually just did an episode about sewing careers. So um, I'm sure there are some of our listeners out there. It's like fresh in their mind and they're thinking maybe they want to do workshops for sewing. So I'm sure they'll be looking out for that e-course. Sure. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, I, I started doing um, mentoring for the British Library for startups, and I just enjoyed it so much. You know, it's really a funny, like, process to go from, you know, like, first and foremost, I'm a maker. I just love making things. But, you know, running your own business for 10 years, like, you know, you have to pick up stuff. Like, <laughs> I have to do my taxes. I have to, like, do payroll and, like, learn business stuff um (laughs) you know and it's it's really funny it's like that sort of has become a passion of mine and I love hearing about how people run their businesses and I was sort of looking at a lot of online courses because obviously we're, we're working on these I can make shoes online courses teaching people how to make shoes and I sort of thought like what else do I have to give and I've definitely done the trial and error for the last 10 years <laughs> on like how to run a good course and how how to deal with problems and just, you know, all of it. So excited to share that. That is really exciting. And if our listeners want to get their hands on your book, it's called I Can Make Shoes. So they can look that up. And it is beautiful. I've been flipping through your pictures of it online. And I really want to get my hands on a copy because it looks <laughs> so much fun to make your own shoes. Oh, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to really simplify it. You know, other shoemakers read it and they're like, oh my God, how did you like simplify that so much? And I'm like, I know, but it's, it's, it's called, I can make shoes a beginner's guide to home shoemaking. So this is like really first step this book. And, you know, I've spoken about it loads with the team and we want to we want to do some more complex stuff as well, but we just want to do it in a non-intimidating way. Like we want people to be able to start wherever they feel comfortable, you know? So if our listeners do want to make their own shoes, they're excited about the prospect of making their own shoes, where do they get started? How do they get started with the whole process? Okay. So I would say the first place to get started is to just like read up a little bit or even watch a video. Like there's so many videos on YouTube. We even have loads of free videos on YouTube. But first things first, it's really important to make shoes for yourself. It sounds really obvious, but so many people sort of decide like, okay, I'm going to try and make a pair of shoes for the first time. And I'm going to like make my sister's wedding shoes or something like that. When actually, you know, you can't lie to yourself. Like you're your best and worst critic, if that makes sense. You know, like if you make yourself a pair of shoes and put them on and they're pinching you in a certain area or they're just like not comfortable for whatever reason, like you can't hide from that. And those things are what help you improve. You're sort of like, okay, that's pinching me in that area. Why? Because like I did that top line too high or something. And you'll sort of improve that on the next pair. So I think, you know, a good place to start is a choose a really simple style. And like, don't even worry if you mess it up. You probably will mess it up your first time. Just don't worry about it. Just 
put your feet in the shoes and see how they feel and then just like get cracking on your second pair straight away. (laughs) This episode of Love to Sew is brought to you by Skillshare. Make 2020 a year where you explore new skills, dive into your passions and let creativity run wild with Skillshare's online classes. What you find just might surprise and inspire you. You can take classes in everything from photography and video to design and illustration. When I started Helen's Closet Patterns, I took a bunch of Skillshare classes on topics like social media, email marketing, and SEO. Did you know that I have a class on Skillshare that's all about fabric? It's called The Beginner's Guide to Fashion Fabrics, and it focuses on wovens. It's a crash course on picking the right fabric for your project, which we all know is one of the biggest challenges in sewing. I love using Skillshare to learn new crafts and skills. With so many courses to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. Skillshare is a proud sponsor of Love to Sew. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash Love to Sew and get two free months of premium membership. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash Love to Sew. That's Skillshare.com slash Love to Sew. So simple design, do it for yourself first. Yeah. I'm curious about like how long the process takes. Like, let's say someone was like, I want to make a pair of shoes this weekend. I have your book. I ordered the materials. How long would you say someone should set aside for making their first pair of shoes? It kind of depends. I mean, just back to the last question, the, the best thing you can do to start out, if you can, is get yourself to a course. Like get yourself to a short course because the amount of information that you get in a course is far beyond what you could ever get in a book. Partly because let's say there's six people in the class, you're not just making what you're making, you're also watching what everyone else is making. So you're learning six times the amount really of skills. And if someone makes a mistake, you're learning from their mistake too. So a good sort of short course to start with, I'd say, is two to three days. If you're sitting home for the weekend and planning to make yourself your first pair of shoes using a book because you can't get to a workshop or whatever your reason is, I would say you would want to set yourself either just like a full weekend where you totally commit to it, or I would just start and maybe like not particularly set yourself a timeline. Like maybe you could be working on your first pair of shoes for a month or something, you know, and you just do like a little bit every night as you go. That's the beauty of doing it from home, really. When you do a short course, you have that like concentrated, dedicated learning, whereas so many people just like don't have the flexibility to just like dedicate that much time. I mean, if you have kids, it's like, forget it. (laughs) You know, It's just totally out of the question. But it is definitely something you could tackle like a chapter. You might just say like, today, I'm just going to cut out all of my pieces. And then tomorrow, I'm going to stitch them all together. And then the next day, I'm going to like prepare my insoles. And and you can just move it through it in, in tasks. You make it sound very relaxing. <laughs> I think it is. Just prepare my insoles. <laughs> I think it is. You know, I see, I find like making anything super therapeutic. And I think obviously the first time you do anything can be a bit frustrating because it's the first time you're doing it. And 
you're just like, am I doing this wrong? I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think that's okay. I think if we just sort of like own it, it's like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't have to be like pressure on doing everything perfect first time. Yeah, that's the whole point of I Can Make Shoes is to make it really easy and unintimidating and it's it's for fun at the end of the day. Definitely. Yeah. And with sewing patterns, we're really used to using patterns and having a guide as we go along for how to make something. So are there patterns for shoes and do people typically use patterns or do you often just have your students design their own concept for their shoes? Well, both. Yeah. I mean, you can't really get a standard kind of pattern for a shoe because each shoe is made on a different last, um, which is the shoe block. And that determines so many things, the size of the shoe, the heel height, the toe shape, the width. So you kind of do need to make a whole new pattern for each shoe that you're making. We let people pretty much design whatever they want, as long as it fits within the time, you know, the allocated time. Basically, that just means you can't come into a a three-day beginner's workshop and do like thigh-high boots or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we do try and let people do whatever they want, really, Um, and they'll design it from scratch and make the patterns from scratch. Footwear pattern making can be like the most complicated mathematical equation in the world, or it can just be really simple and Obviously, at I Can Make Shoes, we're for beginners. (laughs) So we try and keep it really simple. What do you think is the most challenging part of the process of making shoes? Is there one area in particular that you see students sort of struggling with? Yeah, it's so hard, that one. Like you, you might have a class of like six people and four of them will really struggle on one thing and two of them will just nail it you know and none of them have ever made shoes before so it's really hard to say but one thing I see with pretty much every student is um the struggle to hold everything (laughs) you're working with these weird shapes lasts um the shoe blocks are really heavy you know they're like foot shaped bricks (laughs) and you know you've got to like hold that in the right position while putting the right amount of pressure on the leather. So this process is is called lasting where we stretch the upper over the last to form it into the shape of the shoe. And I just find it can be a bit of a struggle figuring out how to hold everything in the right place and put the right amount of pressure on everything. But once you sort of get it, you get it. Usually within five or 10 minutes, people get it after you've been making shoes for so many years, like watching people have that <laughs> the struggle of just holding all the stuff. <laughs> and with the lasts, the thing that comes to mind for me is that there must be so many different lasts. Do you have a yeah. huge library that your students can pick from that have like different heel heights or different foot widths? Like how does that work? I made a decision pretty early on not to have a huge library. (laughs) But don't get me wrong, it it is quite big. But in terms of shoemaking schools, the I Can Make Shoes library is pretty small in terms of lasts. Um, The reason for that is because what what sort of ends up happening is that you have hundreds and hundreds of lasts. And 
loads of them never even get used. So I've really picked out my lasts in a really practical way. We started off with one style and what that means is like the design of the shape and we had that in a high heel, a mid-height heel and a flat shoe. And then we had a size range of each, right? And then as we've sort of grown over the years, we've added to that library with styles that you have to have a particular last for. So for example, we have quite a few high heel pointy lasts because we would just have people all the time saying, like, I want to make a pointy high heel. And on our standard shape, it's a round toe. So it's not really ideal for um, pointy shoes. And then more recently, you know, square toes have become really in style and we've been asked a lot about that. So we've added a few square toe shapes to the library. And of course, then we've got like men's ones. But generally speaking, the ones that I chose to start with have been so perfect. They've been going for the full 10 years. It's a really timeless classic shape and what we love to do is to teach the students how you can actually alter the shape of a last so at I can make shoes the whole point is that we want people to be able to do this from home so there's no point in sort of teaching people how to have like a million different lasts because people don't have space for that so we want to say to people like get a really diverse shape so you know, the shape of high heel that we have, for example, is perfect for closed toe pump style thing, but you can also make an open toe. You can do a sandal on there. You could do an ankle boot on there. Like it's a versatile last. You can do a lot of different styles of shoes on that last. And then if someone has like a bunion or they just have super wide feet or something like that, we actually teach you how to build up that last rather than having to buy a whole new one. That is so cool because that was one of the things that I was thinking, like, I have wider feet, so would I be accommodated in a class? Um, So it's really good to know that you would teach those skills that I could go home and kind of like build out my own last. That's so cool. Oh, for sure. It's so important because, you know, it's like the practicality of it is that, you know, no two feet are the same. You know, we all sort of tend to fit and buy standard size shoes, but like no two feet are the same. So we get people on every course who are like, oh, my feet are horrible. My feet are the worst. And it's like, no, they're not. They're fine. They're so normal. Like, you know, it's all good. But, you know, if you have those practical skills to adapt what you have to work for you, then it's much better, especially if you do get to the stage where you're making shoes for other people. Like you want to be able to make them really comfortable. You want to be really proud of it. And if they have got a bunion or a high instep or something, you want to be able to accommodate that. Another question that comes to mind for me is what is the success rate with shoemaking? Like, would you say that usually when you're making your own shoes, you end up with something that you're going to want to wear and that's going to sort of be integrated into your wardrobe? Or would you say that there's sort of a learning curve there where you're going to end up with some shoes that you maybe don't wear and then eventually you sort of get there? Well, success rate in terms of people leaving our courses with like wearable shoes that they've made from scratch is 100%. (laughs) They all leave with like, you know, wearable shoes that they have made. I think the the main thing that uh, would happen from time to time is that you can have an idea in your in your head, but until you see it in real life, 
you don't really know how it's going to look. So this is something I have to be so, so delicate about. Uh, One thing over the years, and all of my teachers and I sort of laugh about this, but (laughs) we know, right? Like if someone is like, this is my idea and these are the colors I want to use, we have that sort of ability to see it as a finished product. And we know instantly if it's like not going to look great. But it's a delicate balance between, you know, just saying like what your personal style is. It's like they're not our shoes, you know. Someone comes in to make a course and they're like, I want to use 10 different colors and I want to do this and I want to put this bow here and I want to put this thing here and this is how I want it to be. It's like who are we to say, no, you shouldn't do that or whatever, you know. It's like we want people to feel like they have enough creative freedom to make whatever they want to make. Um, But it does happen quite often where people will come in and be like, oh, my gosh, I can't choose what color, so I'm just going to choose all the colors. (laughs) And then I always say to people like, okay, that's cool. Do you, like, usually wear rainbow shoes or, (laughs) And then they're like, oh, wait, no, I usually just wear black. And I'm like, okay, like, maybe let's pick black, you know. (laughs) I love that. You're like part style consultant, like bringing people down to earth a little bit. (laughs) It's really funny, especially um, in like flat shoe courses. Like if people want to just like do loads of different panels and choose loads of different colors, it's like there's a high likelihood they're going to look a bit like bowling shoes. So we just have to like sort of spend a bit of time at the beginning really talking people through their ideas and also understanding like if that is the look they're going for we don't want to come across like judgmental at all like we're there to teach we're not there to judge you know so um yeah there's this delicate line honestly I have had some people make shoes and then be like do you know what Actually, now that I see them, I don't love them, but I'm so motivated to make my second pair. And like for my second pair, I want to like rein it in a little bit or do something a bit more simple. But that's part of learning. Like when I think back to my first ever pair of shoes, they were just ridiculous. Oh my gosh. (laughs) They were so silly. Not at all cool. I don't think I ever wore them, but it was, you know, it was still great to make them. It's such a relatable experience, especially for sewers too, because we all start off making these crazy dresses and using all the fun prints and colors, and then you end up finding your style eventually. But that is all part of the learning experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) This episode of Love to Sew is sponsored by Hello Voyager. Got the travel bug? Hello Voyager's got you covered with beautifully curated itineraries that focus on textiles, sewing, craft, and design. Hello Voyager is hosting the Grand Scottish Textile Tour from May 26th through June 5th, 2020. During this trip, Hello Voyager will explore Scottish textile history as well as learn about contemporary sewists and artisans. The trip will visit Glasgow, the Highlands, and Edinburgh. And of course, there will be stops to fabric and yarn stores along the way. The founder of Hello Voyager, Betsy Bloggett, is a longtime sewist herself. She researches each destination to find the most interesting sites that will truly inspire. Hello Voyager will also be offering textile tours in England and Sweden this fall. To find more information on these textile tours, visit HelloVoyagerTours.com. That's HelloVoyagerTours.com and Hello Voyager on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> 
So what kind of tools and materials are you using when you're sewing? And I'm sure some of our listeners are going to want to know about what materials they might already have in their fabric stash or their collection that they could use for shoemaking? Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, ever since day one, I have tried to make it so that you need like as least amount of specialist equipment as possible. And that was partly because I didn't have the stuff. (laughs) So I couldn't really say to someone like, yeah, go cut out that sole with your sole press machine. It's like no one has a sole press machine. The first thing you need that you probably don't already have is shoemaking lasts in your size, preferably. They are probably one of the most expensive things I would say and probably trickiest things to get a hold of. But one huge tip I have is check eBay. Like there is actually a huge secondhand market for shoemaking lasts because sometimes people buy them and make a pair of shoes on them and then realize like actually the size isn't that accurate for their feet. So then they sell them on eBay and get another pair. So it's definitely worth um, trying to get your hands on some secondhand if you can. And then other than that, you know, we use scissors, you know, in our workshops, we do not have special scissors because they get destroyed. But, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have their sort of special sewing scissors and stuff like that. You want to have, you know, good quality sharp scissors for cutting leather. If you're using leather, you know, you don't have to. You can use anything. We use leather throughout the book and we use leather in our workshops unless people ask otherwise if they want to use a vegan material or if they have some fabric they want to use. But yeah, you need good quality scissors. The glue is like, I guess, another kind of tricky thing to find. But this also surprises people a lot. Like I use all non-toxic glues because I mean, oh my gosh, the toxic stuff is strong. You just open the jar and you know about it. (laughs) We sometimes use the strongest stuff for putting soles on just because, you know, it's extra strong. But if you are going to do that, like do it outside if you can or sit by a window. But yeah, we use non-toxic glue for most of it. A German brand called Renia and the non-toxic glue is called Aqualim. It only actually came onto the market like five years ago or something. Like up until then, it was just the strong stuff, which is super intense. But this has really made a big difference for people with home shoemaking. And then, of course, a sewing machine. But like a domestic sewing machine is fine. That also really surprises people. There are so many like beautiful, soft leathers that are totally fine for a domestic sewing machine. I mean, if your sewing machine can sew denim, then it's totally fine. I don't even recommend people use leather needles. Like I use a denim needle and I use nylon thread or like a polyester thread because it's just a bit stronger than cotton. But yeah, like, you know, general kind of tools. If you're attaching heels, you need like a small drill um, and a screwdriver If you've got pliers, they can come in handy for reshaping insoles, but not essential. But like good sturdy scissors is probably the number one thing you need. And if you're choosing fabric to make your shoes out of, do you want to go with something that's a heavier weight fabric or can you make shoes with like a lighter weight cotton, for example? Um, You can. I mean, they're going to be stronger if you go with a heavier weight fabric, but you also might compromise in stretch, right? So like... You know, stretch is really handy to have, especially when you're a beginner. But, you know, if you're using like a really 
thin material, even like a silk or something, you can just put an interfacing on it, like a, a standard iron-on interfacing. If you're not vegan, I would recommend using a leather lining if you're going to use like a fabric for your upper, just to sort of offset the weight a little bit, just to give it a bit more sturdiness. And of course, like you put stiffeners inside the shoes anyway. So that gives it a lot of extra strength. So I have another question because you just mentioned upper and I wonder if some of our listeners are going to be like, what is an upper? So could you walk us through like the different elements that would make up a shoe? Yeah, it's actually like to put it in really simple terms, it's like you have the the top, the middle and the bottom, right? And so the, the part of the shoe that you see, the part that goes over your foot is called an upper. Now that can be as complicated or as simple as you want. So if you're imagining like a, I don't know, like a sandal that is just one strip of raw leather across the top, like a, a Greek style sandal, that is still, that strap is your upper. If you're imagining like a really complicated padded sneaker that has, you know, 50 different panels on it and padding and everything, that's your upper as well. To make it a little bit more complicated, you've got two main pieces, right? You've got like the upper that you see, and then you've got the lining. And once you combine the upper and the lining together, the whole thing becomes the upper. So yeah, there are lots of different pieces and the parts all have different names, but in the industry, we all just say like the upper basically. And then you've got the middle bit. So inside the upper, in between the upper and the lining, you'll generally have stiffeners and that's what keeps the shape of the shoe once you take it out of the last and also keeps the shoe on your foot. And then you've got the part of the shoe, which is the middle where your foot actually sits on and that's the insole. And that's a really nice area to pad out if you like comfort. I put memory foam in all of my shoes. And believe it or not, I still buy a lot of shoes too because, well, I just love shoes. But the first (laughs) thing I do when I buy shoes is I take them into the studio and like take the insoles out and put memory foam padding in there just because I can and it's so comfy. And then you've got under that your um, the bottom, which is like any part that's going to touch the ground. So the sole, the heel, the wedge, the platform, whatever it is. And that's usually made out of like really dense foam or leather or resin or plastic. You know, there's a lot of different materials that people use to make soles. What's the best material for a beginner making shoes for their first sole? Leather. I mean, leather is the best material for beginners for the whole thing. So the reason for that is because it's very forgiving. The one area that leather isn't forgiving is in sewing. You know, that's the that's the one thing I will say. You know, once you put a hole in leather, it's there. So if you make a mistake and have to unpick some of your stitches, those holes are still going to be there. But Other than that, leather is very forgiving. You know, it's very stretchy and very strong. So you can manipulate it in so many ways. So it makes getting around those curves a lot easier. Working with like exotics is just a nightmare. I try and avoid it at all costs. So when I say exotics, I mean like crocodile and snake and stuff like that. They're just, just have zero stretch. They're really difficult to work with. Same sort of thing can go when you're using fabrics is that they don't have any stretch. So for a beginner, you know, you're just trying to get your technique down. So having to worry about like 
it not having enough stretch while you're also trying to practice your technique can be really tricky as well. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are vegan and want to use vegan materials and, you know, there's so many amazing vegan materials on the market now and it's only getting more and more and more, which is so exciting. And a lot of them have really leather-like qualities. If you can um, work with leather, that is the best place to start if you're a beginner. If you would rather not, then I would say try and find like a vegan alternative that has leather-like qualities in terms of like the stretch and the sturdiness. I'm also curious which parts of the shoemaking process involve sewing, because I know our listeners are going to be wondering that too. Where does the sewing come into play? Well, um, it, it comes to play with putting the uppers together, really. You know, we have to join our pieces together. Um, We have to turn sort of a 2D shape into a 3D shape, which means we have to be able to lay it flat, lay the pattern flat on the leather so that we can obviously trace it and cut it out. And then we have to stitch seams into it, just like, you know, making any garment, really, we have to stitch seams into it to turn it into a 3D shape. So you have to stitch those seams in and you also have to stitch the upper and the lining together at the top line. And then like really depending on your design, if your shoe has like six panels per shoe, you have to stitch all of those pieces together. But once your uppers are stitched, there really isn't that much other stitching involved. People you'll see a lot um, in footwear that there's so much fake stitching. It's really hilarious. Insole socks, which is usually that little, if you imagine like a pair of high heels and they have like a little extra piece of leather where your foot sits on top and it usually has like the brand name embossed or something there. Mm -hmm. Quite often you'll see that is like stitched around. That is stitching nothing to nothing. (laughs) That is literally just a decorative stitch. The other area is when you sort of move into like more complicated shoes. There's um, a lot of hand stitching that happens in like traditional menswear kind of thing. You know, you can do like uh, traditional hand welted shoes. If you want to know what that is, look it up on YouTube and watch some videos. It's really complicated and really, really hard work. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely recommend like building up to that. But you can also buy fake welt stitch which is um called a randing in the industry and it kind of goes around the sole of the shoe and then the sole goes on top so it kind of looks like the sole is stitched to the shoe but it's not um i have another terminology question i promise we'll stop grilling you soon (laughs) no please go ahead i saw on your website that you sell toe puffs yeah what is a toe puff (laughs) what is So there are two stiffeners that go inside a shoe. There is the toe puff and the counter. The counter stiffener goes in the back. It sort of cups your heel and it really keeps your foot in a shoe. The toe puff literally puffs out the toe. So if you imagine like stretching a piece of loose leather over a shoemaking last it'll sort of take the shape of the last. But then if we take the last away, that leather would just flop back down. So you put a toe puff inside the shoe so that when you don't have the shoe in the last, it maintains its shape, basically. The other way that that comes in super handy is like keeping the toe box kind of 
comfortable you know you need to have like I don't know if you've ever like put your foot in shoes and it's just like pushing down on your big toe Mm -hmm. and you're like is this too small or just too tight like what's happening here and it's just pushing down on your big toe from the top and it just kind of hurts that's because the toe box is like too tight so the toe puff actually keeps that true to the shape of the last but while we're on toe puffs I'm just going to throw in a super top tip here. If you do have that problem where it's like too tight, you can heat toe puffs. Nine times out of 10, they are a thermoplastic toe puff in your shoes, which means they're heat activated. So if your shoes are too tight, get your hairdryer on the hottest setting you have, wave it around on the toe and just put your hand inside the shoe and kind of push it up with your hand while it's kind of melted a little bit and it'll just stretch out your shoes and they will be so comfortable. Whoa. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to try you this. You can manipulate <laughs> and counters for that pet, for that matter. <laughs> Such great advice. Okay. So let's wrap up our shoemaking process talk. Do you have any advice for our listeners out there who might be interested in making their own shoes? My advice is just don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just make all the mistakes. You know, that's kind of the beauty of home shoemaking is like you can make all the mistakes in private. (laughs) (laughs) Like your first pair of shoes is not going to be a Jimmy Choo. It's just not. And that's totally okay. But like the more you do it, the better you get. Like I know how cliche this is, but like practice really, really does make perfect. But I would say just, just get started you know so many of our students are like I have been planning on doing this for the last 15 years (laughs) and it's like it's so normal and so common but I think the main thing with footwear is that it just comes across a little intimidating because it's not a huge community of home shoemakers and it just seems quite daunting, but it really isn't. Like just take it one step at a time, like I said before, and give it a go and don't worry about making mistakes. Just just go for it. I'm wondering also if you have any suggestions for hashtags that our listeners could follow, if there's some more niche communities for shoemaking out there that they could join on Facebook or other social platforms. Um, well, we actually have a Facebook community, which is great. We We actually started it for our past students and it's just – I mean, grown. There's so many people who can't actually come to London and do our courses because they live all over the world. But we kind of just started letting anyone join our Facebook communities because we thought, why not? (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's such a good place to get advice. And like, sometimes people ask us questions and we're like, oh my God, I don't know. And then other people in the community are like, oh, we have the answer to that. Especially for getting supplies. You know, we actually do get students from literally all over the world, which is so amazing. I've had quite a few students come over from Canada, which is really cool. But, you know, so often we'll get someone put in the Facebook community like, hey, I'm in New Zealand. Like, where can I find a shoemaking last? Or like, I really want to do a course. Like, can anyone recommend a place? And there's an amazing school in New Zealand called Shoe School. And they are actually really similar to I Can Make Shoes and they're awesome. They're such lovely people. And it's just really cool to be able to like say, we don't know where you should get lasts from in New Zealand, but we know who you can ask, you know? That's so awesome. Yeah, it's really good. I, I've, I'm so happy to see this community growing 
Um, you know, I never look at any other shoemaking school as competition. You know, I know you guys did one of your episodes about that, like community over competition. And I just think that that idea is so great. I mean, there's so much space for everybody and there's so many people. So it's just like the more we can support each other and the more we can share our knowledge, even if it is over something as basic as a supplier, it'll just help the community grow even more, which is good for everybody. So, Oh, yeah. We love the idea of cross-pollinating the maker communities too, (laughs) because we know that our listeners are interested in things like shoemaking and embroidery and tapestry weaving and all kinds of other fiber arts or other crafts in general. And it's so fun to get to talk to somebody like you as an expert in a certain (laughs) field and encourage our listeners to go try it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about teaching so that we can kind of give you an opportunity to plug the workshops that you do at your studio in London. So tell our listeners what kind of classes they can sign up for if they wanted to do an in-person workshop with you. Well, we have a whole range of different classes. I guess the, the main thing to point out is that they are all designed uh, with beginners in mind, but it's also okay if you do have a bit of experience too. You know, we have lots of different people come in for different reasons, whether it's I've never done this before, I just saw it on the internet and thought, why not? Or we have people who are like, I tried my hand at shoemaking 20 years ago and I've forgotten everything, but I do have a bit of experience. So it's just all it is is like a non-intimidating safe space to come and learn and practice and have fun. All the different classes we have are totally suitable no matter what sort of stage you're at. We have everything from like a one-day sandal making class or a one-day design class to a weekend sort of flat shoe making class. So we have a sneaker class and we call it our fab flats class because you can kind of make any kind of flat shoes you like. And we always run them side by side because we kind of realized it was really great for the sneaker people to watch what the other people were doing and for the flat shoe people to also watch what the sneaker people were doing because they're kind of different processes but also kind of the same. So we just thought there was like quite a lot of value in being able to like look over your shoulder a little bit. So that's been really cool. I like that one a lot. The only thing about that one is that we don't include pattern making. I mean, we go over it briefly, but just because of a time issue. But by far, our most popular course has always been the three-day intensive. And that is literally start to finish. And we always try and run it on like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just so that people don't have to take too much time off work if they work um, during the week. But yeah, that that's by far our most popular course. We run that like once or twice a month and it's almost always full. Just because people can make pretty much whatever they want in that class and you just have so much more flexibility and you really do leave with like the ability to make your own shoes from home in the future. I guess for me, I always like when I was starting out, I always just wanted someone to like just show me how to do it and then I'll go home and practice. Like I just wanted to go through the process once with someone and then just like go and do it on my own. And that's really how that class was born. It's kind of just like, here's how to do it. Cool. Enjoy. <laughs> which which is surprising because like a lot of people do just want to be shown that. Um, but a step up from that one is then we have a, a five-day bootmaking course and then step up from that which has become so much more popular in the last couple of years is our 10-day 
footwear masterclass program. And that is for people who want to start their own shoe businesses. So we get like so many people as well who are like, I want to start my own shoe business. I'm not going to be the one actually making the shoes, but I do want to know how they're made just so I can communicate properly with my factory. And, you know, just so that I know, you know, about products that I'm selling basically. So I love teaching that course. That's my favorite because you spend two weeks with these people and you really start to get an idea of why they want to start this business and what's important to them. And, you know, you design a collection of shoes with them and go through the process of like making that whole collection. And the first day is kind of just like ideas and brainstorming and mood boarding. And by the final day, they're sort of sitting there with a whole collection of shoes in front of them that they've made from scratch. And also they kind of leave with like a bit of a business plan as well because they're sort of like, right, this is what I need to do because they're just like in that zone for 10 days. So that's that's a really great one. And we've had so many of our students go on and actually start their own brands, which just like, I mean, brings the hugest smile to my face. <laughs> it's just the nicest feeling ever to see someone like actually realize their dreams, you know, because they've done like a short course with you. It's just the best. <laughs> That's so great. It's so clear how passionate you are about teaching and about spreading your knowledge and about sharing, you know, the whole shoemaking process. And it makes me wonder what your favorite part of that teaching process is, because you've been doing it for so long. Tell us like what really feeds you? What's the most exciting part of it for you? It's the people for sure. Everyone is there for a different reason. It's, it's, it's really amazing. You know, when I first started, like the idea that someone would like fly to London from Canada or Australia and put themselves up in a hotel for however long they're here for a week or whatever they're doing and come just to do a course with me is like, what? Why would anyone do that? But now it's just like, I totally get it. You know, it can be really life-changing for people. Like, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it actually can be. Like a lot of people get stuck in careers that they don't want to be stuck in. And they always had a dream of doing something and like doing something in shoes and, you know, life got in the way or whatever. And, you know, for them, like coming in and saying, okay, I'm going to do it now is like just so exciting. But also that's on the business side. Like some people come in because they have really difficult feet. Like that also really, really sucks for people. You know, some people just have tiny feet and they can't get adult shoes. They have to wear kids' shoes. It's like it's embarrassing. And and some people have really, really big feet and they have to wear like men's basketball trainers all the time and that can be embarrassing too and it's like and forget about the embarrassment it's also just like that might not be the way they want to dress that might not be the way they want to you know express their style and it's it's excluding them and it it really sucks and some people just have difficult feet in terms of like bunions or disformed feet or whatever they have or like one foot is two sizes bigger than the other and it's just like you know people have issues and it can be really really hard and it's been really interesting to speak with these people and like listen to 
daily struggles they have and how much it's affected their lives. And for me, I'm like, well, man, if I had that problem, I'd just make some shoes like for myself, (laughs) you know? So, but to me, it's nothing, but to them, it's huge. So being able to give them that, like, uh, it's quite empowering to give them that skill, actually. Yeah, I think it is too. It's so great. I feel like all of our listeners are going to want to fly to London now and take your course. <laughs> well, we'd love to. Helen and I are making eyes. We're like, when are we going to London? You're yeah. all welcome. <laughs> it sounds yeah like so much fun. And you also have so many online resources as well. You mentioned your downloadables earlier, but you can go and get tons of information from your website and supplies and things like that. Yeah. And we're going to have so much more as well. Like we take requests on YouTube, guys. We actually do them. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, we do them. It's really fun for us. If someone's like, can you just make a video on this? We're like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. That is so great. (laughs) And do you also have online courses outside of like, I know you mentioned you had some eBooks, but do you also do like online video classes outside of your YouTube channel? We're working on them. They're sort of halfway filmed at the moment. Um, (laughs) So they're not really out yet because we still have to put them all together and do all the edits and stuff like that. I had a little like a neck injury at the end of last year and we were supposed to finish all the filming and we had this like three-week window booked out and we just couldn't do it. But, you know, like these things happen and, you know, I'm really excited to do them. So that's something we're going to be working on finishing when I get back to London and then they should be out like early in the year but we have so many videos on YouTube too like they're all free and um, like I said like we take requests for those but the ebooks are really a good place to start they're step-by-step photos so it's like we show you how it should look you know we don't just like write instructions and get people to sort of like guess how it should look Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the videos are obviously way more detailed because if something goes wrong while you're making a video I tend not to like hide it I just say like oh man that happened oh well that happens sometimes this is how we're going to fix it you know that's relatable just a better way to learn. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I'm sure our listeners are going to go check all of this out, check out your website and everything. And I also wanted to give you a chance to just put a little plug for where they can find your book. Is that something they can get on your website? Yeah, it's actually only for sale on our website at the moment, I can make shoes.com. <laughs> and we've just had the best response. It was just the most amazing feeling to have worked so hard on it I mean you know I said it's been like in the pipeline for 10 years but like jokes aside it actually (laughs) took a full year to make this book like seriously we wrote it in like September I finished writing the steps in September 2018 and we launched it in September 2019 but we shot all the steps in like November 2018 so it just even once you've done the photography, it still takes so long to put it together and like rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it to make sure that it just makes as much sense as possible to people who've never made shoes before. But yeah, I mean, we've only had really positive reviews and that's just the best feeling ever. So Oh, fantastic. I'm sure you'll all love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. I'm going to need to get my hands on a copy for sure. And I hope that 
someday Helen and I can make our way over to London and take one of your classes. We are going to link everything we talked about today in the show notes. It's a lot. And I know our listeners are going to be super pumped to go check out all the links and everything. But thank you so much for coming on the show, Amanda. It was such a pleasure chatting with you about shoemaking. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan. I'm like really excited. (laughs) Well, you take care. Thanks very much. Bye. 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 This episode of Love to Sew is sponsored by Hello Voyager. Join Hello Voyager for the textile trip of a lifetime. This year, Hello Voyager is offering textile adventures in Scotland, Britain, and Sweden. See dates and the full itineraries at HelloVoyagerTours.com. That's HelloVoyagerTours.com. That's it for today's episode of Love to Sew. You can find me, Caroline, at blackbirdfabrics.com and Helen at helensclosetpatterns.com. We're recording today in rainy Vancouver, Canada, and you can get in touch with us and get links for everything we talked about in this episode at lovetosewpodcast.com. If you are loving the show and you want to help us out, you can support us on Patreon. Contribute $5 or more a month and you'll get access to our bonus episode feed. Contribute $10 or more a month and you'll get a 15% discount for both of our shops and a bonus mini-sode from Melanie. Go to patreon.com slash love to sew for more info. Thank you to our amazing podcast team, Sam Humphrey and Melanie Brister. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Go make some shoes. Shoes, 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 shoes. You can make shoes.